Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Listeners should refer to the disclaimer in the episode notes and at the end of this podcast. You know, all through the drug development process, you, you often have a good feel for whether your drug is a contender or not. But it's only when you start seeing that first glimpse of human data that you really find out for sure whether you've got a a promising drug on your hands. And I think in the last six months or so, we've seen quite a bit of data out out of this drug that looks extremely encouraging. G'day and welcome back to the Equity Investor Journey. I'm Phil Muscatello and joining us for this episode is Dr. James Garner, CEO of Casia Therapeutics. Hi there, James. Hi, Phil. Thanks very much for having me. It's great to be here. Casia Therapeutics is an oncology-focused biotechnology company developing innovative anti-cancer drugs, headquartered in Sydney, Australia. So, James, tell us about the treatment that Casia is working on. Phil, our company's lead program is a drug called Paxalicib. And we're developing Paxalicib as a treatment for brain cancer. And uh, we're looking at a variety of different forms of brain cancer. We've got the drug actually in five human trials right now. But the primary focus is a disease called glioblastoma. And glioblastoma is the most common and the most aggressive form of brain cancer. It's, It's really, frankly, about as bad as cancer gets. The patients we're looking at on average have a life expectancy of not much more than 12 months from diagnosis. And that hasn't really improved for over two decades. This is still a disease that, that, uh, where the outlook for patients has not improved since the last century. And, and we contrast that with diseases like lung cancer and breast cancer and bowel cancer, where we've made such enormous progress. Brain cancer has, has really been a, a neglected uh, area. So we're focused on glioblastoma as our, as our primary area of, of attention. And we have the drug right now in a phase two human trial, which is showing some really interesting data. And so we're looking at at moving forward in that and behind that in several other forms of brain cancer. So when you're saying brain cancer, is that what we would um, understand as a a brain tumour? Oh, that's absolutely right. There's uh, so so most of the most brain tumours are exactly as you describe. It's like a like a tumour in the lung or a, or a bowel tumour. It's uh, it's a it's a mass of tissue in the brain. The challenge with brain cancer is that the tumour is very very spread out. It's not nice and 
sort of round and, and encapsulated as it sometimes is in, for example, breast cancer. Mm. And that makes it very, very difficult to remove surgically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and one of the challenges we have with cancer is still for most tumors, the cure for cancer is generally surgery. Mm. And, uh, and that depends on being able to remove the whole tumor. And so, for example, if it's in the skin, if it's in the breast, we can, we can often remove the whole tumor. In the brain, that's really difficult because the tumor is very spread out. It's very diffuse. And obviously, the brain, there's a limit to how much surgery we can perform there. So it makes it a very, very difficult place to, to treat cancer. Mm-hmm. And I believe one of the challenges as well is the, um, the uh, brain-blood barrier as well. That's something that needs to be overcome. That's right. That's right. So the blood-brain barrier stops the majority of drugs from getting into the brain. And mm. it's there as a, as a protective mechanism. It's part of the way our body protects us from, uh, from uh, all, all sorts of challenges. Yeah. Uh, but when we're trying to treat disease in the brain, it makes it really difficult. And it's a challenge not just in brain cancer, but in diseases like multiple sclerosis, Alzheimer's disease, depression, you name it. Any disease where we need to get a drug into the brain, it's very challenging. And most of our cancer drugs don't get into the brain. Mm, mm. And obviously, if we're trying to treat a brain tumor, that's an absolute requirement. The, the first thing the drug has to do is to be able to get to the tumor. Now, one of the things that's really interesting about our drug, Paxelicid, is that it has been designed as a brain cancer drug. And so a, a lot of thought went into making it adapted and, and suitable for this disease. And, and a key part of that was making it able to cross the blood-brain barrier. So we know that Paxalicid crosses the blood-brain barrier really well. It gets to the tumor. And that, of course, is a, is, is, a, is a really important requirement here. So novel drug development can take many years. What sort of time frame are we looking at in the development process that you're in now? Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, end-to-end, the journey for a new drug, so from, from the first look at the drug in a test tube in a laboratory to the point where it's available commercially to doctors and patients and, and hospitals, that journey can often be 15 years or more. It's almost geologic time. Mm. And, and that's a real challenge for investors, of course, because uh, you know, not, it can appear that not much happens in that time, and it's a relatively binary outcome at the end. The drug is either successful or it's not. The great thing for, for us is that we're really right at the end of that journey. We're about to take Paxalicid into what we call a pivotal study. That's a, a human trial designed to secure marketing authorization. In other words, designed to secure approval to sell the drug to hospitals and clinicians and patients. And that trial will take us about two and a half years. We plan to start in the second half of calendar 2020. It'll take us about two and a half years. And that's really the finish line at the end of that. So unlike, uh, unlike a lot of drug candidates where there is still this, this huge long process of animal testing and laboratory work and then early human trials, mm. we've been through a lot of that. And so we're, we're really looking now at the final step of the process. And that's a very exciting place to be. So when you say um, up to 15 years for uh, developing a drug, how many years um, are you into the process now? Well, this drug started its development around about 2011, 2012. So we're about eight or nine years into the development of the drug. So end to end. Oh, so a fair fair way on, a fair way into it. Mm, That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. So end to end, Paxalicib's journey will probably end up being something like 12 years. 
And, and that's often the case for cancer drugs. They do sometimes move a little more quickly uh, just because some of the some of the tests, some of the hurdles are different. They're not lower, but they're different. Mm-hmm. Uh, a diabetes drug or a high blood pressure drug, for example, can can take even longer than fifteen years. But mm-hmm. um, but we this this drug has been uh, going through the, the the process now for quite some time. So Pexelacid was licensed from another company. Can you give our listeners some insight into that approach for drug development? Yeah, so this this has been part of how we've been trying to think about Casio. Casio is really a new company in the last few years. It's a reboot of a, of a pre-existing uh, Australian company. But but in all important respects, the, the business is a new one. And as we've thought about how to how to build our company, how to how to uh, how to approach uh, our strategy, one of the things we focused on is is really looking to just specialize in a, in a particular part of the drug development process. Now, broadly speaking, Drugs are invented, which is which is something that happens in the laboratory and, and is and is led by scientists. They're developed, which is a process of human trials, and then they're marketed. and And it used to be that everybody tried to do all three of those things. And uh, and uh, you know, when I entered the industry, which was better part of twenty years ago now, every company was trying to develop its own drugs and market them. The reality is very few companies do all three of those things equally well. And so what we've tried to do is really focus on the middle part of that. So we look to, we don't have laboratories and scientists and and, uh, people with with shiny machines and white coats. Uh, Equally, we have no real aspiration to be a commercial pharmaceutical company and to be selling drugs in, in the market. The, the question, of course, is, is, is what are you going to do instead of developing your own drugs? If you're, if you're not going to have your own laboratories, where do you look to, to source your drugs from? And, and we've looked to big pharma companies for this. And, and, uh, and this may seem counterintuitive, but the reality is that most big pharma companies invent many, many more drugs than they have the resources and the bandwidth to develop. And so periodically, every six months, every 12 months, companies make prioritization decisions. They decide we're going to focus on this. We're going to take this drug forward. We're not going to do that. And sometimes that's governed, obviously, by the quality of the drugs. If something doesn't look promising, it doesn't get funded. But but very often, those decisions are also dictated by company strategies. So if the uh, if a company decides we're going to focus on prostate cancer, lung cancer, and breast cancer, then if there's a drug in the pipeline for bowel cancer, then that's probably not going to get a lot of support in the company just because the company's decided that's not what it's going to do. It might be a fantastic drug, but it doesn't get that uh, that support. And uh, having worked in Big Pharma myself, one, one of my previous roles has involved uh, a lot of trying to find new homes for those very promising drugs that just don't fit with the company's strategy. And so we've set up Casio as a business to try and look for those promising drugs in other companies that nevertheless don't fit with the focus for, for that company and which we can bring into our company and build value around. And Paxalacib is a great example of that. It was developed by a company called Genentech. Uh, Genentech is a fully owned subsidiary of Roche, a Swiss pharmaceutical company. And it is the most successful developer of cancer drugs in history. They sell about better part of $40 billion a year worth of cancer drugs. 
And Genentech had developed this drug up to a certain point. They decided that just for strategic reasons, they weren't going to focus on brain cancer. And so we were able to bring it into our company and take it forward. And that's been very much how we've tried to think about Casia and, and how we've tried to think about shaping our pipeline. Well, it's interesting knowing how the industry works. It's much more complex and nuanced than um, first appears to an outsider. Well, it, there's an interesting parallel, of course, with, for example, the mining industry. You know, there's uh, we see a lot of junior miners that will pick up a mine or something from, say, BHP or Rio Tinto mm. that just wasn't part of, of their core business, but then they've managed to turn that into a billion-dollar business. And that's increasingly happening in our industry too. So it, it's still a relatively... Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. New business model here in Australia, but in the United States, there are companies like Tassaro and Puma and Clovis Oncology that have, that have built billion-dollar businesses out of other companies. And many drugs will change hands several times over the course of their life. So we're, we're really uh, having some fun trying to bring this model to Australia. So you've announced recently some uh, positive data from your Phase 2 human trial. Tell us about those data and what it means moving forward for Casia. This has been really exciting. You know, all through the drug development process, you, you often have a good feel for whether your drug is a contender or not. But it's only when you start seeing that first glimpse of human data that, that you really find out for sure whether you've, you've got a, a promising drug on your hands. And I think in the last six months or so, we've seen quite a bit of data out of, out of this drug that looks extremely encouraging. And the most important data point we actually just shared at an academic conference called ASCO, the American Society of Clinical Oncology, which uh, was in May of, of this year. And we, we presented data showing a, a measure we call overall survival. And, and in simple terms, that means does the drug extend life for patients? And the overall survival for Paxalicib in this group of patients was 17.7 months. Now, for comparison, the, uh, the historical figure associated with the one existing drug for this group of patients is 12.7 months. And the comparison is never perfect. As we're, we're comparing here between two slightly different groups of patients, different points in time. But nevertheless, it, it seems to suggest that there's a very material increase in life associated with, with treatment with Paxalicid. And that is a sensational result at this stage in the drug's development. It's still offer relatively small number of patients. The study is still ongoing. So that figure can move. 
but um, but it's a really really encouraging signal that the drug is is working. And there there is no higher test for a drug than the ability to extend life. Uh, mm-hmm. We we often look at at an early stage in drugs development at, at sort of surrogate measures like. Um, does it shrink a tumor or does it uh, change some some blood parameters? Mm-hmm. And those things are useful pointers, but realistically, shrinking a tumor doesn't mean much to a patient yep. unless it translates into them living longer. So, uh, so, so this is this is really encouraging data, and I think has has got us very excited. But I think has also really started to excite clinicians and, and partners and investors. You're also participating in a pivotal phase two slash three study, GBM Agile. Can you tell us about that? This is our path forward for Paxalisib. So we're coming towards the conclusion of this phase two study. And traditionally, drugs go through these three phases of human trials. So we're concluding the second phase right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. GBM Agile is what we call a pivotal study. It's, a, as I say, a study designed to take the drug onto the market for, uh, for commercialization. And, uh, and this is a really, really interesting novel approach. Instead of running our own study from the ground up, which is the usual approach in these situations, we're going to be joining this international platform study called GBM Agile. And this has been set up by some of the leading clinicians in the brain cancer field. And it's designed to provide a, an opportunity for companies to put their drugs into it collect data in glioblastoma to facilitate registration. And so there might be several drugs in at any given time. They run in parallel, collect their data, mm-hmm. and then take it to FDA. And that, and it's been very, very strongly supported by the FDA, the U.S. regulatory agency. It has the buy-in of really most of the top clinicians in this field. And, uh, and there's some things that really attract us to it. One is that there's real efficiencies doing it this way. Instead of having to set up all the machinery of a clinical trial individually for every drug, there's a lot of shared resources here. So this saves us an enormous amount of time and, and cost. But also because this has got a sort of critical mass, it's got the buy-in and the engagement of all the top clinicians, the regulatory agency, and so on, it really uh, allows us to be part of a, a study whose quality would not be realistic for any individual company. I think I would honestly say no company, no matter how large, could run a study as robust and as comprehensive uh, as this one. So, um, so this is a great opportunity. It's a very, very novel way to do drug development. It's something that, that the FDA has been trying to talk us all into for some years. Mm. But this mm. is this is really a pioneering piece of clinical research. And we're, we're really excited to be part of it. It's uh, it's a tremendous opportunity for Paxalisib. And, and wonderful to hear about um, innovation in uh, all forms of uh, drug development, that it's not stuck in the last century. That's right. That's mm. right. I mean, the reality is, you know, we're we're often a very scientifically innovative industry, but a mm. procedurally conservative one. So I think uh, as we see people trying to put forward these new models for doing this work, uh, it's, it's uh, very exciting to be part of that. And I think GBM Agile has had a lot of attention for exactly that reason. You haven't had any problems with um, getting recruits for the trials either, have you? Because sometimes with these drug developments, you can have uh, problems with, with getting enough recruits to do the testing. It can be really difficult. That's right. It's, it's often one of the challenges in clinical trials. We've been very lucky so far, and I think we, we hope that this will continue. And, and 
I, I think there's a few things that, that count in our favor. One is that there are not very many drugs in development for brain cancer. And among a relatively light field, I think Paxalicid is rapidly emerging as, as one of the front runners. So we get a lot of interest from the clinicians and from the hospitals. I mean, almost at least every week, we're getting inquiries from, from doctors all around the world wanting to be part of clinical trials, wanting to put their patients on the drug. Mm. So there's, there's a tremendous opportunity there, which I think, frankly, in, in my career, is it's the first time I've First time I've been quite that popular. Uh, <laughs> it's fantastic, isn't it? <laughs> being popular. <laughs> it's, it's, an, it's a new experience. <laughs> um, I, I think the, the other thing that helps a lot is that, um, frankly speaking, there are, not, uh, there are not great treatment options for these patients. So for, for people who have the, the misfortune of receiving a diagnosis of glioblastoma, one of the first things they start looking at is clinical trial participation, mm. simply because the existing treatments are so inadequate. And so being part of a clinical trial has almost become part of a standard of care for these patients. It's woven into how they're treated. And that's very different from, from many other diseases. But I think that certainly encourages a lot of patients to look at being in a clinical trial. Paxalicib is not the only drug that you're trialling at the moment for brain cancer. Can you tell us about the others that you're, you've got in development? Well, we have, we have one other drug in development, which is for ovarian cancer. It's a drug called Cantrixol, and that's still in a phase one clinical trial right now. Um, but we are looking at Paxalicib in other forms of brain cancer as well. And uh, although glioblastoma has been our primary focus, it's, uh, it, it just makes sense for the drug in so many ways, we do, ha we do have the opportunity to help in, in other forms of brain cancer as well. So we actually have four other human trials going on. One of them is in a childhood brain cancer called DIPG. This is a really aggressive childhood cancer. There's, there are no drug treatments available mm, for this mm. disease at all. And uh, so we're doing a clinical study with uh, one of the world's leading children's cancer hospitals in the United States to look at our drug for, for those patients. And, and we're obviously really hoping that we can, we can help. We have three other studies ongoing, which are all looking at uh, what we call metastatic brain cancer. And this is, this is cancer that has spread to the brain from somewhere else in the body. So glioblastoma uh, starts in the brain. It's a genuine brain cancer, if you like. Mm. But we also see sometimes that patients with lung cancer or breast cancer have their tumor spread to the brain. And, and when it spreads to the brain, it becomes very difficult to treat. So we're looking at Paxalicib as an opportunity to treat cancer that is spread to the brain from somewhere else in the body. And, and that's a much more complex space but it's also a, a very, very considerable number of patients. And, uh, and we're starting to see some, some really encouraging things emerge there. So I think this could be a, a big part of the long-term future of the drug. So what is the scale of the commercial opportunity for Casia out of this? Well, glioblastoma itself is typically estimated at about a $1.5 billion a year commercial market. So, uh, uh, and, and that's not just a figure plucked out of thin air. I think that's a figure based on both a sort of bottom-up build, looking at the number of patients and the typical cost of a drug, but also by reference to, to previous drugs that have, that have been uh, put forward in this disease. So, so it's, it's about a $1.5 billion market globally each year. And obviously, if we were able to take even a small 
piece of that. It's a very, very considerable uh, business for, for us. But beyond that, all these other forms of brain ca- cancer are additional opportunities. They're, they're, uh, they provide the opportunity to grow the market beyond that 1.5 billion. And then beyond that, our drug also potentially has uses in other forms of cancer outside the brain. We focused on brain cancer because the ability to cross the blood-brain barrier is what makes it so unique. But it does also potentially have a role to play in other tumors as well. So, um, so I think in the long run, we, we see, uh, we see some blue sky opportunity in areas like lung cancer, breast cancer. But I think our, our focus for the foreseeable future will be brain cancer. Well, Dr. James Garner, good luck with everything. It sounds like a very exciting development process and uh, you must wake up uh, feeling energized every morning with what you're doing. Thank you very much for coming up on the podcast. Thanks so much, Phil. Thank you. The company and or guest has contributed to the costs associated with producing this episode of the Equity Investor Journey. This podcast is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice as we don't know your personal financial situation, so you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. 